You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. You can follow along as I begin reading with verse 36. As this evening's message is entitled, True Brokenness. True Brokenness. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box full of ointment. Now, this picture is just so poignant. I mean, this, uh, this really, she, she comes on a mission, but when she gets to Jesus, she just erupts into tears. She stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet, anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spoke within himself. You know, he just looked over there and just these are inner thoughts. He spoke within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have something to say unto you. And he said, Master, say on. And Jesus begins this parable. He said, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Now tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him most? Well, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom the, he forgave the most. And he said unto him, You have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you didn't anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he turned to her and said to her, your sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him begin to say within themselves, who is this that forgives sins also? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go. In peace. This is one of several times in the scripture when someone comes, has an encounter with Jesus, God touches their life in a remarkable way. And another time is when, when that woman who had been sick with the issue of blood for so many years, gone to many physicians, profited none. In fact, she was worse than she'd ever been. She came to Jesus. She just grabbed the hem of his garment. He said, who touched me? They said, how do we know? How can you say who touched you in this kind of crowd? And, and she stepped forward and she said, I'm the one who touched you. And he said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. In other words, he wanted to be clear. It wasn't touching the hem of the garment. It's faith. It's faith has made you whole. He says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so we're going to look at this issue of true brokenness. Father, I pray trusting that each one of us this evening will reflect upon where we are individually in our relationship with you. And, oh, Father, Teach us, teach us the importance of a broken and contrite heart. Father, we know that, it, that arrogance 
and pride is sickening to you. But we know you have said that you are God who dwells in a high and lofty place with those of a broken and contrite heart. You said, you know who sits with me here in this high and lofty place? Those who have a broken and contrite heart. Lord, teach us tonight the meaning of true brokenness. And I pray these things in your wonderful and your matchless name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. True brokenness. Often someone will encounter an individual who feels compelled to express, well, I know I'm a sinner or I know I've done wrong. And we'll come away from that experience saying, well, yeah, he's admitted what he did or she's admitted what she's done, but I don't sense any real brokenness in his heart or her heart. I don't see any real evidence of contrition. I don't see any real evidence that this person is really disturbed about what he's done or about what she's done. We've been thinking a lot about this lately with the sad situation that our president has found himself in. You hear people talk, well, he doesn't really mean it. And unfortunately, uh, uh, the spin doctors have been so in control of the administration for so long, people have a natural skepticism about whether anybody means anything. And then there are other people who say, oh, yes, he really didn't mean that. But let's, let's get out of that arena and down to our arena here. What are the evidences of true brokenness? Now, that's an important issue. When I was praying, I was reminded of that scripture which says, where the Lord says, I dwell in a high place, in a lofty place. I mean, you can just imagine where it is that God dwells. And he says, let me tell you who's here with me. Those of a broken and contrite heart. The scripture says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He literally stiff arms the man or the woman who has pride and arrogance in his heart. I'll do it my way. I know what's best. This is the way it ought to be handled. God literally puts his, his hand in their face and stiff arms them. They can't get close to it, but he gives grace to the humble. The Bible says you want to be lifted up? Well, you humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And so the issue tonight is true brokenness. What are the evidences of true brokenness? I want to give you four this evening. I've read to you one experience of one lady who was truly broken. But we're going to go elsewhere in the Scripture for the other three. Uh, we're going to look in a little bit in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to look... Uh, or excuse me, in Judges chapter 7, we're going to look at uh, an experience in the life of Gideon. And then we're going to look at Psalm 23. We're going to look at the shepherd's experience with the sheep. Uh, we'll look again at this experience of this lady who was so broken before Jesus. And finally, we're going to go to that tomb in the garden near where Jesus was crucified, where they laid his body and we're going to learn the ultimate lesson of brokenness. And so let's first of all go to Judges chapter 7. Now, you don't need to turn to that passage of Scripture this evening. Let me just tell you a little bit about what happened and why I'm choosing that as an illustration of brokenness. In the seventh chapter of Judges, you find, you remember, that Gideon has been tapped by God to lead an army 
to conquer the Midianites who are an unnumbered multitude of soldiers. And Gideon, to start with, is very frightened about this himself because he says, I'm a nobody coming from a nobody's family. And then God doesn't do anything to really encourage Gideon in this thing because when Gideon gets all of the men together that he can get together, God says that's too many. Can you imagine how Gideon must have been surprised by that? And God keeps whittling away at this thing. You remember the experience of Gideon. God keeps whittling away at the troops until there are only 300 men. And finally, it's time for these 300 men to go and conquer this huge army. As a matter, they're unnumbered. I mean, it's an incredibly large army which has kept its thumb on these people, which has suppressed them and harassed them and kept them hiding in caves and in dens. And, and you know, I mean, they, they just, they, they just, they would coward before this Midianite army. And so Gideon comes up with this, with this, uh, with this plan. And he says to these 300 men, I want you to go home and get jars or pitchers, get a pitcher. And uh, he didn't say specifically what kind of a pitcher it ought to be, but he said, I just want you to get a pitcher. And he said, I want you to get a trumpet. And I, we're going to put a light, a candle, or an oil lamp inside each of these pitchers, and I want you to keep it covered so that nothing, no light gets out of it. And then at the appropriate moment, when you hear this, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, I want you to break those pitchers on the ground. The lights will flash, and these men were gathered, they're scattered all around the hills around the Midianite army. The trumpets blew, and you remember what happened. I mean, the Midianite army was put in disarray. They were absolutely defeated by 300 men. Now, what I want you to see here is that true brokenness always results in an expression of light. People who are truly broken out of them comes light. When they speak, you, you are hearing from the depths of the heart of God. When, when they speak, when a broken person begins to speak, you are hearing from God's heart. Light emanates from them. To me, I, I've always thought it was interesting. How, how do you think these men took these pictures? I, I think one man went home and and uh, on his way home, you know, he said, well, Gideon wants me to get a picture. He stopped by the picture shop, and he got him a clay pot. Maybe another man stopped at the doorway of his house and said, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, and picked up a, a picture and said, told his wife, say, I'm going to use this tonight. Another guy probably went home, didn't even think about it till the last minute, and reached over and got a prized possession, this urn in the house that had been in the family for many, many years. And he said, I'm going to use this tonight. And his wife said, not that. And he said, well, it's all I've got, and it, where it's too late. I can't go buy one. And so he took the, you know, maybe it, had, it was painted. Maybe it had ornaments, you know, all kinds of painting. and Maybe it had ornaments on it or something like that. I don't know. And so as they gather together, you know, here one man's got a clay pot, here's another man's got a pretty nice vessel, here's another man who's got the very best picture out of his house. You know, they're sort of comparing, say, boy, I wonder what your wife's going to say about this, you know, after tomorrow, you know. And, and they, but the truth of the matter is, once they broke those pots on the ground, if you came walking across that area the next morning, what you would just see was just a bunch of old broken pottery. 
No distinction between the clay pot and the prized vessel from the home. And I want to tell you something. When God moves in on a fellowship and he brings brokenness to people, we quit distinguishing ourselves one from the other. We're just a bunch of people with broken and contrite heart before God and not one of us is saying, well, I'm better than that person or I've had more experience or I've had more education or I've had more money or I'm the better color or I'm the better person or I know more or I'm more spiritual. Broken people look like an old bunch of broken people before God. But I'll tell you, when that brokenness takes place, when God comes in, and says, look, just let yourself be broken. When brokenness takes place, light begins to emanate. I've often been interested in the fact that some people who are very spiritual, real mature, real experienced, real educated, they'll go off to witness to some old guy and they'll do their dead-level best to get that guy saved. I mean, they will work hard. They'll just do that. They'll try to witness to him. They will up one side, down the other. They will use their best tactics, their best formula, their best illustration, their best closing. They will use everything they can. How dare this man not get saved? They let all kinds of people to the Lord, and the guy just never sees it. But one of his buddies, with a broken heart, sits down with him and choking back the emotions and with tears running down his cheeks. He says, man, I don't know, I can't explain this. I don't know what to tell you about this, but I'm going to tell you, God loves you and Jesus will save you if you will just trust. And that old sinner just sees light and gets saved. So one of the evidences of true brokenness is that light emanates from you. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Brokenness produces light. Illustration number two, Psalm 23. You don't need to turn to that. That's the shepherd psalm. Where in the world does it talk about brokenness there? Well, verse two says, he restores my soul. So, well, m maybe you don't understand the picture. You see, sheep, just like you and me, sheep are their most vulnerable when they are at their moment of greatest potential. Let's take this, this sheep. It's been a good year, and so she's well-fed. And it's been a great year, and so there's all this fleece. I mean, she, you, I mean, this is prized stuff. Not only that, she's carrying in, in, inside her a little ewe lamb. And so, so there is, it's a, man, everything's going right for this sheep. Heavy, big, fleece, pregnant. But that sheep is in trouble. Let me tell you why. A sheep like that often will go out, lie down, and it's not something big. It's not, it's, the sheep didn't go out and say, I think I'm going to roll over on my back. But the sheep just sort of lies down, gets comfortable, and attempt to get just a little more comfortable, turns its head, and when it does, the balance changes, and all four feet come straight up in the air. Now listen, and that sheep at that moment is as helpless to get up as a terrapin on its back in the middle of a highway. 
That, that condition is what shepherds call being cast. They have a phrase for it. It's called being cast. And did you know that a sheep like that has about, depending on whether it's sunny and dry or whether it's humid, you know, and overcast, uh, that sheep has anywhere from three hours to three days to live. And that's why the shepherd gets up and he starts counting his sheep uh, periodically to make sure there's not one of them missing. Being cast. And so here's a picture of the Christian. You don't know exactly when it was. Always before you could just make up your mind and get spiritual. Oops, I seem to be drifting a little bit. <laughs> I'll straighten that up. I'm going to get up a little bit early in the morning. I'm going to spend more time in the Bible. I'm going to start doing all the things a Christian ought to be, and I'm going to be more spiritual. And you do. You are. But one day something happened, and there's some here like this this evening. Something happened to you. And you rolled over. Maybe I was telling our men the other Sunday morning, maybe it was one more program on television, one more joke, one more job, one more compromise, one more something. And you woke up one morning and you found out that you couldn't get back to God. You tried. You, you made so many resolutions you wanted to, but you couldn't do it. Now I was telling the guys, you know, the shepherd does some things that seem so harsh. First he goes out there and takes his shears and just cuts all the fleece off of them. This is a naked sheep. You know what, what he's doing? He's taking off all that sheep's bragging rights. Everything that made that sheep look like somebody, he just stripped it off. Why? Because it's collecting dirt from the world. And all of a sudden, God suddenly does that in your life. He just starts stripping away from you everything that made you feel like somebody. You lose your position. You lose your money. The numbers go south. You lose your friends. Everything that made you feel like somebody's gone. Now, now, first of all, don't criticize if you see somebody like that. They're probably ahead of you, you know, in this pilgrimage. Secondly, uh, don't be angry with God when this happens because he's doing this so you'll live to produce another day. But listen to what he does. He then picks that sheep up. And this is, this is what I was trying to drive home last Sunday morning. He picks that sheep up. He puts that sheep with her head, or his head, right up here against his heart. He takes the right foreleg, puts his hands around it. I've heard this happen. It's like a rifle shot. He twists it and bends it till it just cracks. Now, why would a shepherd, first of all, strip off all the fleece and then break the crazy sheep's leg? Here again. He wants that sheep to produce again, broken. So that shepherd then is committed to carrying that sheep. And that's what happens when God, when you're really broken. God starts carrying you. And it's an interesting thing. I've talked to shepherds in Australia about this. It's an interesting thing. When they carry that sheep, that sheep's ear is over the shepherd's heart. And he just hears for, for weeks, that, that sheep just hears that shepherd's heartbeat. You know what that does? When that sheep's leg gets mended and that shepherd puts that sheep back down on the ground, it doesn't run off again. In fact, it almost gets to be a nuisance playing around the shepherd's legs and feet because the sheep doesn't want to leave the shepherd. What I'm saying here is that brokenness also produces not just light, but loyalty to the Lord. You don't want to get away from it. You don't want anything to get away from it. You, you walk in there and you look through the music you got and you say, man, I, you know, I don't even want to listen to that. You look at those radio stations you got programmed in your car, you say, you know, I, I really don't need to be listening to that. You think about the way you spend your time, the things you do. You say, you know, I really don't need to do that. Why? You don't want, you're loyal. You don't want to do anything that will disrupt your relationship with your Lord. Now listen, a broken person is a person out of whose life comes loyalty. 
That's why, listen, that's why if you say, oh, I'm broken over my sin, but you keep in your life certain patterns, certain habits, certain sins before God, and you say, this is just my thing, and I'm going to hang on to this. I mean, after all, I've repented of all this other stuff. And, but you keep things in your life that you know are a sin before God. Your brokenness is suspect because true brokenness produces loyalty. You don't want anything in your life that in any way hinders your relationship with God. You want to run around his feet. You don't want to be away from him. I've had a lot of people say to me, well, you know, Lord, I, preacher, I, I, was, I was bad. I really was living for the devil, you know, but I, I've repented of that. But still in their life or in his life, in her life, there are things which are godless. They say, well, it's just one habit or it's just two habits or it's just one place or it's just one relationship. Listen, true brokenness is evidenced by loyalty. Picture number three. Here we have this woman. She hears Jesus is there. I don't think she intended to do what she did. She probably intended to come and be very dignified about this. But when that enormous unrighteousness came in the presence of absolute righteousness. She just lost it. I mean, she lost it. She, her composure was gone. She forgot about who was watching. <laughs> she forgot that she's just an old sinner woman, woman in the home of a Pharisee. She just lost it. I mean, she wept and she couldn't quit weeping and she wept and she wept on his feet. She dried his feet with, with her hair. She, she took this alabaster box of incredibly expensive ointment and, and, and put it on his feet, not his head. I mean, she just, she just wept and wept and wept and wept. And all the while, this guy who was pretending to be broken says, how stupid. Oh, brother, if he knew that, what a sinner that was. And Jesus... See, Jesus hears your heart better than you can hear my voice. Yeah. And Jesus just heard that old sinner's heart, and he said, Hey, Simon, a couple of guys owe a man a bunch of money. One owes him five pence, the other one owes him 50 pence. He forgives them both. Which loves him most? Well, he said, you know, what is this, a story problem? Uh, I suppose the man who was forgiven the most. Jesus said, well, your attitude's bad, but your answer's right. This lady's been forgiven much, and this lady loves much. Here's what I'm saying. True brokenness is evidenced by love. I mean love. Love for Jesus, love for the Lord's people, love for the things of God. Just love. Hey, all this stuff that used to get you uptight, hey, that's all right, that's not important. No, you go ahead. No, I love... Hey, listen, I'm just glad to be acquainted with you. Oh, this is wonderful. All those little things you used to bark at your kids and bark at your wife, bark at your husband and bark at the people. You know, all that little... Hey, it's no big deal, man. I mean, you're just filled with love. You just love getting up. You just love Jesus. You love having a job anyway. You love taking another breath. You just... It's wonderful. You just have filled with love. You just count yourself blessed to still be there. Brokenness just 
person's really broken, they just they just start loving different. I've known of broken men to quit jobs, to take menial work so they could just be back where they belong with their family, get things right. Just love is a result of brokenness. Well, one other picture here in the scripture. We've said life comes out of, our light comes out of a broken life. And loyalty comes out of a broken life. Love comes out of a broken life. Let's look at one of the broken thing in the Bible, and that's the seal on the tomb, Matthew 27. You don't need to turn there either. Here's the deal. They took Jesus off the cross. They put him in a tomb. Well, these guys, you know, they were afraid that they were going to be tricked and somebody's going to come and steal Jesus' body and then they'd say he was alive and all that kind of stuff. So they went to extra pains to see that that didn't happen. They put a, a guard, I mean, a hired Roman watch guard was set over the tomb and then on top of that, they sealed the tomb. And that means they put it in there and then they went around that tomb with some kind of... Um, you know, who knows what they did? They, we really don't know what they did. They could have gone around it with mortar so it would be obvious if it was broken, the mortar would be broken. They could have gone around that tomb with wax, which is what they would often do, but more usually on a box or a letter uh, to see if it was broken. I don't know what, they, what it was they put around the tomb, but they put something around it, affixed it probably with a, a signature of Rome, and knowing that that stone could not be moved without that seal being broken. Now, that ought to solve all the problems. Of course, it didn't. Jesus went ahead and rose from the grave. By the way, he didn't have to have that door open so he could get out. That door was not open so that he could get out. That door was open so that we could look in. He got out ahead of time. He was just raised from the dead. I mean, God just raised him up. And then there was this earthquake. I mean, all this stuff, and I mean the tomb, was, and these soldiers fell over. You know, well, you'd fall over too. And I mean, this was a stunning moment. And then the door rolled away. You go to that place to this day, you can't find the door. You can find the tomb. You can find the track for the door. You can't find the door. I think it just went to powder is what I think. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about this seal. I mean, they couldn't find the door, the seal, the lock, the, nothing. They couldn't find it. I mean, there it was gone. Rolled away. Maybe it was there for a while. Maybe it did just roll away, you know. But out of that tomb with the broken seal came life. And out of a broken heart comes life. You, you get next to somebody with a broken heart, I'm not talking about broken down. No, I'm talking about somebody who's truly broken before the Lord. And I mean, that person just brings life to you. There's just something about that person. You just can't touch that. There's something about that that's incredible power in that person's life. And you think brokenness would make them without power and and just all broken down and weak and... No, no, broken people are the most powerful people. Why? There's nothing that can happen to them that can push them down any further. Everything that happens to them just lifts them up. 
It's just life. Well, brokenness. Light, loyalty, love, life. Those are evidences. Broken heart. I, I heard about two birds talking one day. And uh, one bird came swooping in to this post and lighted and looked over the bird next to it. It's just sort of sitting there hunkered down. He said, how you doing? He said, I'm doing fine. He said, what you doing? He said, I'm just sitting here, resting. He said, well, I can sure understand. He said, I, looking at your body, man, you, you've been slammed around a little bit. I mean, it looks to me like you've had a, had a broken wing and maybe a broken foot. Bird said, boy, you can tell, yeah, you're right about that. He said, man, and he said, you know what? It's nobody's fault but mine. I was just flying along one day, and I got, just got to not paying attention, and I just ran slap dab into a tree. And I mean, I just broke my, I broke my wing, I broke my foot, you know, and the thing is it's, it's mended back together again, or I wouldn't be up on this post, but man, it was a terrible accident. Well, it's, you know, this other bird sort of feeling good and proud of being unbroken, you know, and so he looked at that bird and he said, that <laughs> really hurt you, didn't it? He said, oh, man, it hurt me bad. He said, I'll tell you something. He said, I bet you I can fly higher than you can. That bird said, yep, you probably can. But he said, I'll tell you what, I bet you don't enjoy flying at all as much as I do. And some of us here, you've had experiences in your life, just stupid, just dumb, stupid sin, and you just crashed. And if you will see that as God loving you so much, loving you so that you could live to produce again, so that you could live to fly again, out of your broken heart can come light and loyalty and love and life. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just move upon us. God, we, we are so proud. We are so arrogant. We are so, I can handle it. And everything, Lord, in the lives of some people here tonight, just going south. The, the harder they try, the more they lose. Lord, you have said, I will not despise a broken and contrite heart. If you humble yourself before me, I will lift you up. I will give grace, not to the proud, but to the humble. Oh, God, we find ourselves praying, break us, break us so that out of our lives would come those things which really mean something. Light, loyalty, love, life. That all the world may see what a mighty God we serve.
Bring us to this altar tonight, dear Lord, to say yes to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. We're going to stand in a few moments. Our praise singers will lead us in a hymn of invitation. It's your invitation to come to Jesus. Counselors will be here at the front. I'm going to ask those who've made decisions in earlier services, maybe you joined our church, maybe you're baptized, we've not introduced you, I'm going to ask you to come and be seated over here where it says seating for new members down this front or row or two right here to your right. If the Lord's speaking to your heart about joining this church, would you do that tonight? I mean, the Lord's talking to you about it. You may need to turn to somebody and say, should we do this, sweetheart? Should we, you know, is this a time? Just a squeeze of the hand. Say, let's do this. So that when we stand, you'll just make your way forward, find a counselor and say, look, I want to join this church or we want to plant our lives here in this church, become a part of this church. Could be that uh, you've never received Christ by faith as your Savior. You don't even have the... the you don't have the knowledge, the, the bedrock certainty that upon your death you would spend forever with God in heaven. That is an unsettled issue with you. And you want to settle that tonight. You can. Jesus died on the cross for sinners. That's you. That's me. For all of us have sinned. But he has risen from the grave. He is alive today so that by trusting him, we could receive eternal life. He paid for our sin. God raised him up to show that our sin was paid for. He is alive, and if you will receive him by faith as your Savior, you can have eternal life. And so I would encourage you to come and find a counselor and say, look, I want to trust Jesus tonight. I'll give my heart to Christ tonight. And here at this altar, you may want to come and kneel and say, Lord, you know, the, the, the prayer of the great Welsh revival was, Lord... Bend this proud and stiff-necked eye. Help me to bow the head and die, beholding him on Calvary who bowed himself for me. Break me, Lord. And you may want to just come to this altar and say, Lord, that is the prayer of my heart because those things which are of inestimable value will only come out of my life if I'm a broken man or woman. So this is your invitation to make that decision for Christ. Heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Let's stand to our feet. Father, I pray, trusting, trusting, believing that tonight you will bring to this altar each person in this auditorium who would say yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Come to this altar just now. Jesus Meet people here at this altar. Say yes to God. Counselors will meet you.